glad you guys are here. Uh, as Joel said, we're kicking into a series uh, we kicked off last week called Enemies of the Heart. And it's not a series about cholesterol intake. I've been planning that joke for like a month. Just laugh. Just give it to me. <laughs> Thank you so much. But, but it's a series where it's, it's based off a book by a guy named Andy Stanley called Enemies of the Heart. We're kind of processing just some different emotions, some different things that we go through, and how they can kind of be enemies of, of our hearts. Because the truth is, like a lot of emotional or spiritual uh, emotions and things that we deal with, we don't really notice that there's something wrong until there's kind of a big explosion. You know, we don't like take note of those things on a week-to-week basis and they don't show up until it's like a big nasty explosion or some random lady says, honey, how is your heart? How is your heart? And they're asking because you've been a jerk recently or you've been kind of quiet or distant. And so we want to take an inward look at our hearts to kind of see what's going on inside because if, if we don't, all these little explosions, all these little signs will show up in something a lot bigger, show up in something a lot greater. Um, my wife and I recently moved to Norton uh, about a year ago, almost a year ago. And so we bought a house just like a mile from here. So it's great. You can bike to work. I biked to work once and there's way too many potholes in Norton. I never did it again. <laughs> but we love just being a mile, a mile from here. And so we got this house from a, a wonderful couple uh, in the church, sold the house to us. And so we're kind of reaping the benefits of all the, the beautiful work that they've done to it. And so we've just kind of been making it our own and mowing the grass 16 times a week. People say that slows down, but I love mowing the grass. And we love taking care of the place. And so this fall, Sarah texts me, my wife Sarah texts me, and, and she's like, Aiden, I hear footsteps upstairs. And the house is 113 years old, so I'm like, oh man, we've got some ghosts on the premises. There's some specters up in the attic. Well, she's like, no, they're furry feet. So my wife has a very, very... Uh, abnormally strange fear of rodents and animals. Like you might be scared of them, but she is way scareder of them. She's like, there's something in the attic. And so every time I was at home, I've never heard it, but she hears it. She hears it, you know? So I'm like, okay. Well, a couple, a couple weeks later, I'm outside on the porch, just kind of cleaning or I don't know, cleaning the porch. That's what you do. You just got to keep your porch so clean. So I'm out in the porch and there's, there's, I see this little weird pile of like wood chips and like insulation. I'm like, well, this is this is gross. Get this, get this off the porch. I'm trying to keep my porch clean. And it wasn't until a couple weeks later that I was, if fall was coming, all the leaves were falling off the trees, that I'm like, I need to climb my ladder, which I'm very terrified of heights, and clean out my gutter. So I'm climbing the ladder, and at the top of the ladder, I stare face to face with this nasty hole in my, squirrels ate my roof. They eat wood. My attic is a hotel for squirrels. It's like there is an Airbnb group on, and all the squirrels are like, let's go to Aiden's house and hang out and scare his wife all day. My wife made a point. She's like, I don't think the squirrels live in our attic. I think we moved into the squirrel's basement. And that's kind of been the situation at our house. But I realized that all these little signs, the feet, the shrapnel on the porch, it all points to something bigger and deeper that was going on in the depths of my attic. And so with this series, Enemies of the Heart, we want to kind of take, take a, a, a measurement of what we're intaking, what's going on, what's going on inside, so that we can deal with the proverbial squirrel's nest that may be festering uh, inside of us. Uh, the, the verse that we're kind of basing this series off of is Proverbs 4.23. It says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. It's, it's so vital, it's so important to kind of just pause, step back and take an inward look. It's, it's, it's awkward and it's uncomfortable, especially if you're a guy, you're like, I don't have feelings actually. And so we don't necessarily always want to take an inward look, but it's so necessary 
Because sometimes the little things point to something way bigger that's going on inside. And so we want the things to flow from our hearts to be, to be things of Christ, that our relationships and the way in which we interact with God, the way in which we interact with our families, all overflow from within our hearts. And so through this series, we just want to take a look at that. We want to kind of take uh, some measurements, so to say, of what's going on inside. And so last week, Pastor Jonathan shared with us about guilt and about how guilt isn't meant to be a permanent resident and that through the forgiveness that Christ offers, we can, we can deal uh, with our guilt in such an absolute way. And so this, this week, I want to talk to us about, about a, an emotion, an enemy of the heart that we probably don't all think we deal with, but you think your spouse probably deals with, and that is the emotion of anger. Look at this little guy. I got a picture of your husband right here. Look at that. But, but some of us some of us, we, we might be like, I don't really deal with anger. This will be great for my spouse. I don't really have this problem. And so a couple months ago, when we were preparing for uh, this series, Pastor Dan, we were kind of dividing it up, and he's like, hey, would you lead us through and talk about anger? I said, sure, Pastor Dan. I will let the church know about their anger problem. I would love to help other people deal with their anger problem because there's just some angry peeps in the place. I'd love to talk to them about it. I don't necessarily deal with anger. So That'll be fine, but yeah, I can, I can share with it. And as, as it went on, as, the, as the, the months went on, anger has just kind of been on my mind, and I'm like, whew, I deal with it way more than I thought I did. And you may be with me, you may be with me this morning in that place, where like my office has like books about anger, or my outlines on my whiteboard, so it says anger. Some of the, the, the ladies in the office are like, are you, are you okay? How's your heart? I'm like, it's for the sermon, I'm fine. But, but I realized as I went throughout this, this, this past month, like, man, anger shows its head in so many different ways. And I don't know if you can relate to me, but I have, I have this, this Taurus. It's a 2003 Taurus. It's like the one that comes stock when you get your license. They just give you a tan Taurus. It's that one. But this car I got for pretty cheap, and like, I don't want to put any, I'm determined to not put any money into this car. You just have to roll up Norton Avenue, and I have to roll back down Norton Avenue, I ain't putting any money in this car. So it has like a beautiful squealing sound. The brakes started kind of harmonizing with the squealing sound. I'm convinced that you don't even need to put oil in a car. That's just a myth. But maybe, maybe you have an old car. Maybe yours isn't a Taurus, but you just got an old tan. They're always tan or silver. And they ask, what color is it? You're like, tan? I don't know. They're all the same. But you may have an old car like that that has its own idiosyncrasies. And so my car, the Taurus, if you have a Taurus, you know, and your car has its own problems, that when it gets so cold, when it's like January and February and you're going outside and you're already ticked off because it's way colder than it should be. The pipes in the house are frozen. It looks like it's midnight outside, but really it's like 1130 in the afternoon. You don't know. It feels like you're living in Alaska and you go outside and you're cold and you get in your car and you're scraping the windshield off. And with the Taurus, you go to shut the door and it just bounces right off. It's like, it's like the car is like, nope, Nope, it's like, it feels like the car is giving you the finger sometimes. And you can't get this thing shut. And I tell you, I promise you, Pastor Aiden goes from being a 27-year-old pastor to like a six-year-old who is enraged at this car, who's just kicking this car. I'm so glad Dan isn't my neighbor. He'd probably fire me. But, but I was like, man, anger shows up so much more than I thought it did. I wouldn't identify myself as an angry person. But anger shows itself in so many different ways. That whether it's not something like that, I realized how many just like, relational expectations or how I want situations to go or different things that I just get ticked about when they don't go the way that I expected. And so this morning, I feel, I feel the weight of this conversation in, in, in two ways. I feel, feel the weight of it because scripture has a lot to say about anger. 
And kind of as people have been leaving the day, they're like, you know what else? I'm like, I know, I only have 40 minutes. I'm not Dan Gregory. I have to, I only got 40 minutes. I can't say everything. But the scripture just has so much, <laughs> Mike gets what I'm talking about. The scripture has so much to say about anger. That from the, the, the writings in Genesis to Revelations to the letters of Paul to the words of Christ, there's a lot to say about anger. And I kind of feel the weight of that this morning. And, and I also feel the weight of this conversation today because I know for many of us, Anger kind of has deep roots that though you may be like, yep, I deal with anger. That is me. Thanks, man. And you know that the root of it is very deep, that it's from painful situations that people may have layered upon you. And so I feel the weight of that this morning as, as we navigate through anger. But I, I just pray and ask that you kind of walk with me through it. Um, I think what scripture has to say about it is very powerful and probably different than maybe, I know it's different than what I expected. But I, I pray that just the truth of the gospel would kind of heal you this morning and that you just kind of walk with me uh, through this no matter, no matter where you're at. And so, so I, I, um, I, I want us to open our Bibles to Ephesians 4. You can open your Bibles to Ephesians 4. It's page 498 uh, in the Bibles in the back of the chairs. Or you can just read along. Uh, Ephesians is a, a beautiful letter written by a guy named Paul. And he's writing to different churches. He's, he's writing to churches that he, he planted. And he's kind of writing them to maybe address something that's going on. Or he's writing to remind them of what's going on. And so in Ephesians, Paul, if you read the first half of Ephesians, it's this beautiful letter that he, he's reminding the people of who Christ is, what Christ has done for them, and who they are because of what Christ has done for them. And, the, and the, it's, it's beautifully written and it's just so powerful. Every time I read Ephesians, I'm like, wow, this is true. This is awesome. And so as you get later in Ephesians, he kind of talks about how we live in response to what Christ has done for us. So Christ has, has forgiven us. Christ has raised us to life with him. And now in response, Paul's writing on how uh, we respond. And so he says this in regards to anger specifically. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. So Paul, Paul's pretty straightforward. He's like, anger, don't do it. Stop doing it. Capiche? Capiche. Like, if he's, he's pretty clear about it. And I think what's interesting is Paul kind of paints this whole spectrum. That if you're like me and you walked in this morning, you're like, I don't really deal with anger. That's my spouse. Chick's insane. She needs to hear this sermon. <laughs> don't laugh because your spouse is thinking, he's crazy. He needs to hear this sermon. His shorts turn purple and his skin turns green whenever he gets mad. That no matter where we're at, I think we all deal with anger in one way or another. And I want to use a little animal kingdom analogy to help you get on, on the same page with me. I, got, I stole this from Dan. Stole this from an old bald preacher, Dan Gregory. But I think there's two animals that we all can kind of identify with when it kind of comes to anger. For some of us in the room, we're skunks. For some of us, we're skunks. So you're, if you don't know what you are, your spouse knows, just ask them. But like a skunk, you know when a skunk is coming down the road. You know there's a skunk in your backyard because you can smell it. That a skunk like creates a scene, creates a stink. It's, it's freaking out. And so some of us, we deal with our anger externally like a skunk. That we turn red, we, we break things, we're like embarrassing in public, like your kids are like under the table, like get down, dad's mad. Like some of us deal with anger like a skunk and I think Paul addresses that. Paul says to get rid of things such as anger and rage and brawling. He says to get rid of them that for some of us, and Pastor Jonathan talked about this last week, but some of us, we just kind of wear our anger as like part of our personality. Like, oh, I'm just angry. And, and Pastor Jonathan talked about how sometimes this is similar to like a road that they won't fix. Like you're driving down a road and there's a big pothole or a big problem, but instead of fixing the problem, they just put up a bump sign. That sometimes that's how we can be with anger. Like, I'm just Irish. I just get angry. 
I'm just venting. At least I'm being honest. At least I'm being real. Meanwhile, your wife and your kids, your coworkers are like, get down. Where the anger that even though you're just being real, I get it, but it's harmful to the people around you. And Paul's like, let's, let's get rid of that. And one that I think Paul mentions brawling is so interesting to me. Like I remember watching baseball when I was a kid and like the dugouts would just unload, you know, and it was a brawl. Brawling is like these like two sides coming against each other. What's more relevant today than anger in the form of brawling? The Democrats and the Republicans, socially, ideologically, whatever, even within the church, whether you believe different things, it's, it's this brawl all the time. If you don't believe me, just YouTube anything. YouTube anything, how to make a bowl of Fruit Loops, go down in the comments and there's just brawling. And man, it's so, I think this is so powerful and so evident for Christians. Because brawling in the, in, the, in the chase of truth, I'm just trying to give them the truth, or we're offended about everything, that there, it comes across as this form of anger in the form of brawling. And I think in the book of James, he has something to say about this. James 1.19 says this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Ow. Can't say amen, say ouch, right? That like, I, I feel like I'm holding the mirror up to myself with that. Like how, how often are we just so quick to respond or so quick to post a Facebook message with a Bible verse? And it turns out to be like this form of brawling. And James is like, why don't we slow down? Why don't we be slow to speak? Be slow to become angry. What's more counterculture than being slow to become angry? I read this interesting article in a magazine called Relevant, and it was kind of talking about specifically this, and it said, the culture of hot takes and instant Facebook statuses isn't exactly conducive to the idea of being slow to speak and slow to become angry. But it does provide an opportunity to show grace, humility, and kindness. We can demonstrate that the way of the gospel is different than the way of the world by not being quick to respond with biting takedowns every time something happens that offends us. Like, what is, what is more relevant than, than brawling? And so if you identify with the skunk, you're like, yeah, it sounds like me. Sounds like her. Sounds like him. If, if, you, if you identify with that, Paul, Paul says, no, let's not, let's not own these things. Let's get rid of these things. And if you're here and you're like, I am a peaceful person. I don't get angry at things. You might be a different animal in the kingdom. And you may be a snapping turtle. Guys, it was so hard to find a snapping turtle that wasn't terrifying looking. Like, go home and YouTube or Google pictures of snapping turtles. You'll never go back in the lake. Promise you, you'll never go back in the lake. But some of us are snapping turtles. And what I mean is this, that a snapping turtle, kind of when you scare it, it goes back into its shell. But be careful. You may be someone that you may be someone that you're like, I don't get mad. I don't, that's not me. I just tell people, bless your heart. I don't get mad. But but if the wrong person says something to you, or if someone offends you, or if or if someone someone makes you angry, you don't freak out, but you're like, okay, oh sure. And you go back in your shell. But when that person's back over for Christmas, you're gonna take a toe off. You're a snapping turtle. And so you may be here, you're like, I don't deal with anger. But I think Paul is addressing us snapping turtles in the room as well. And I think he says this can show up in forms of slander and forms of bitterness. That slander is just the, the vehicle by which we tear other people down. In church, a lot of times, we just call it praying for each other. We're just praying for that person. 
But, but slander, man, it, it doesn't seem like it's very angry, but you're saying it because something inside of you is angry. They shouldn't have married that person. That person is insane. Their kids are going to be this way. Like slander can tear down so much. And it's a form of anger. It's a form of anger that Paul's like, let's get rid of that. And if, if rage and anger are kind of the overarching uh, themes of a skunk, I feel like bitterness is kind of the overarching quality of a, of a snapping turtle. That there's just kind of this slow simmering of anger, the slow simmering of just negativity that you're, you're jaded and you're just kind of cynical. You're just kind of, people just, people are annoying. And you just kind of have this, this bitterness towards situations where you're like, yeah, let's see how that goes. It's probably going to fail, but you'll figure it out. Like you're just kind of negative. You're just kind of bitter. Are you a snapping turtle or are you a skunk? You know, why don't we go around the room? I'm just kidding. But if you, if you, if you haven't identified yourself, I think Paul kind of sums it all up. He's good at doing this. And he says, get rid of every form of malice. If your anger plays it out in a way which is showing malice towards somebody, Paul's like, let's get rid of that. Let's get rid of that. And so thank you so much, Aiden. We're all ticked. We're all mad. But, but I think it's important to keep digging down. Like, why? Like, why do we get mad? Uh, as I was studying for this, I, I stumbled upon a video said, why are Christians mad? I'm like, perfect. And, and it was this, this writer activist named Jackie Hill Perry. And she was kind of addressing this, like, why, why do we get so mad? And I think she said something interesting. She said, oftentimes we don't know how to deal with our anger because we see anger as the root instead of a response to something else. Did you catch that? That like, you're not just angry and that's the end of it. Our anger is always caused by something else. Anger is always a response. Uh, we could say it this way, that, that anger is a secondary emotion. The anger is always secondary to something else that's stirring inside of us. It's, there's something else that causes it. So today we want to have this conversation. We want to dig down and be like, what causes us to be angry? Because everybody's ticked. Everybody's a skunk or a turtle. And as, as we dive into this, I kind of want to sidebar for a second Scripture, scripture talks a lot about a, a righteous form of anger. It's, it's like anger that like the root cause of our anger, what, what causes our anger is like injustice. What causes our anger is like the effects of sin in the world. Like righteous anger. I think we all probably experienced righteous anger this week. When you turn on your news and you're like, again, there's another senseless killing. Again, and there's a righteous anger with inside of you. Je- Jesus has righteous anger. Like when, when Jesus comes into the temple courts and there's all these people with their tables and they're selling things you can buy to, to buy your forgiveness, he flips that place upside down. He's ticked. There's righteous anger. When he's interacting with a, with a Pharisee, a religious guy who, who looks down upon someone who's lesser than him, looks down upon someone who's diseased, makes Jesus angry. When Jesus stands outside the tomb of his friend who's died and the, the effects of sin, the effects of death on his friend, Jesus is outside and he gets angry. Spoiler alert, he will fix that problem. But there is a righteous form of anger, but we're not talking about that today. Today we're talking about a form of anger that shows up in these different ways that Paul's talking about. James would call this human anger. James says that, in the book of James, he says that our human anger doesn't achieve the righteousness of God. It doesn't achieve the righteousness that God desires. And so there's two different things. So we're putting righteous anger on the shelf. We want to talk about anger that's an enemy of our heart. I want to talk about anger that's an enemy of our heart. And so, so if, we're, if we're, all just, we're all just ticked, like why we ticked? It's not because we're just angry, but it's the root of something deeper. And I think the book of James gives us a little insight to it. In James 4.1, he says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? 
Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? I think the translation is, why do we get so mad? Isn't it because you don't get what you want? Well, it, it sounds a little, like, little, a little aggressive, like you don't get what you want, but just stick with me. Just, just walk with me through this. Because I think many times what we want may, may be very justified. What we want, we, we may very well deserve. Or what we want may just be something we want. Like, like walk with me here. Like, I'm angry because I want these squirrels out of my attic. I don't want to pay for the damage, and I don't want to get on that ladder because it's terrifying. I want these squirrels out of my attic. I don't want Golden State to keep winning. I want to see some good Cavs basketball this June. I'm mad because I wanted someone to respect me that I know doesn't. I get mad because this week has been painful, this week has been crazy, and just today I want my kids to chill. I want there to be no traffic, and I want my boss to be sick so I can just have a chill day. I get mad because I want somebody to understand where I'm coming from. I want years back that this person stole from me. I just wanted her to be a mom. I just wanted him to be a dad. I just wanted that job. I worked so hard for it. I've been at this company for 20 years and they gave it to the other guy. I just wanted that job. The root of our anger is what we want. And many times it's justified. Many times we deserve it. But most times, it doesn't show up in the form of righteous anger. It shows up in the form of slander and bitterness and rage and brawling. It shows up in those ways, and they become enemies of the heart. And please hear me. I, say, I, I say, said this earlier. I feel the weight of it because for many of us, it's very deserved. Knowing people that have been in the room today, you're like, I, I, you have every right to be angry. It's very much deserved that the things that you want were very valid and they were taken. But, but when the desires of our heart are robbed and they're damaged, when they're stolen, we want, we want paid back. And somebody is going to pay. Somebody is going to pay. Whatever got stolen from us, whatever got robbed from us, we subconsciously start to think, you owe me. You owe me time. You owe me that job. You owe me this relationship. You owe me an expectation. You owe me respect. You owe me something. And we're going we're gonna to find someone to make us pay. So we'll say it this way, if human anger doesn't achieve the righteousness of God, we'll say that human anger demands payment. That in our human anger, in our, in our human nature, we, we want someone to pay us back. We, we may be owed, and rightfully so, but we want someone to owe us back. We want that job. We want an explanation. You owe me something. And even if it's something that you, that you do truly deserve, we still want it back. Okay, Aiden, we're all ticked and we all want something. Thank you so much. I think, I think Paul has, has more to say about this. I think Paul has so much to say about this. But what's interesting is if you think about what, what Paul starts in, on verse 31, he says, get rid of all these emotions. Have you ever just tried to get rid of an emotion? <laughs> it doesn't work. I try to tell my wife, calm down. It hasn't worked yet. Chill out. It just makes it worse. And same thing with me. She's like, why don't you not get so mad? I'm like, well, why don't you? Like, you can't just get rid of an emotion. So there's this guy, Paul, he's writing 2,000 years ago in a letter that we're all supposed to take to heart. And he doesn't know your pain. He doesn't know your anger. He doesn't know your frustration. He doesn't know your injustice. And he's like, hey, why don't you get rid of that? And you're like, well, Paul, why don't you shut up? Because you don't understand what I've been through. But I think it's important to take note of, of this guy, Paul, who's writing. This is the guy who's writing from prison. He's been in prison for over a year and he's, he's writing from prison and he's in prison 
because the Roman government at the time wasn't a big fan of Christianity. There was persecution, not just the Romans wouldn't say Merry Christmas, but actual persecution. And so Paul has experienced pain. He's experiencing this frustration. And from that, he's writing, let's get rid of this. And not only was Paul a person who experienced pain and experienced anger, but he was a great cause of it. His day job, before he was a traveling preacher, was he killed Christians. He murdered Christians. Like he was a great cause of pain to thousands of people. And maybe, maybe some of the people receiving this letter, the same people, or know the same people that he, he, he abused. So this is a guy who has both, both carried anger and caused anger in so many people, but he's writing and saying, we need to get rid of this. Because of the gospel, because of what I wrote you early in the letter, we need to get rid of this. And he doesn't stop there. In Ephesians 4.32, if you read with me, this is so powerful. He says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. We said that anger is a response. It's not a root. That anger can be very well deserved. That anger demands what it wants. That it creates a debt that someone else owes. Anger almost as if wants to take the basketball and bounce it into someone else's court. And what Paul is saying is, I think we need to deal with it on your own court. It feels very strange. It feels very counterintuitive. But I think there's very powerful two words in this entire thing. There's two words that I think if we don't get, it doesn't, this doesn't really make any sense and it's not really that great of advice, I guess. It just seems a little strange, but there's two words that all of this hinges on. There's two words that all of this hinge on and that's just as. Show kindness, compassion, and forgiving one another just as God through Jesus has forgiven you. And you may be here and you may be in two camps. You may be like, I have done so much stuff. I, I do not feel like God can forgive me. You may be here and you're like, forgiveness, what? Who, I, no, I'm a nice person. But man, you need to dive into this just as we've been forgiven. I think you have to paint this picture, but like let your mind go to this, the picture of who God is. That if, if I mean, we're in church, so if all this stuff's true, that God is this beautiful, unimaginable creator who is more holy and more mighty and more deserving than anything else. And if we believe that about God, there's going to be some standard he has. You have standards in your household. There's some standard which God has. It's probably safe to say, Scripture would tell us, that we have all in one way or another fallen short of that. We've all fallen short of God's standards. We've all fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. And if you're like, yeah, I'm not getting up there with you, Aiden. Why don't you get here with me? That if you don't think you owe a debt to God, you definitely owe a debt to people around you. Because just in the same way that we want to express anger because about people have hurt us, we express anger because we want to hurt other people. That we owe a debt to the people around us. Our spouse, our kids, our friends, our coworkers, that we've said things and done things. Even think about things that I've said, things that I've done, things I haven't done. And I'm like, I wish I wouldn't have said that. I wish I wouldn't have done that. And I owe a debt to people around me. And if not even there, I owe debt to myself. That my expectations that I have for everybody else, I can't even measure up to those. And so if you go here, here, the, the power of the, the debt that we owe God, that if it's true, if we're, just, if we're agreeing here in church that this is where God is, that this is where I am, you step back and you're like, well, shoot, it's a big gap. It's a big gap if God is who the Bible says he is. 
But the gospel says something different. The gospel says that in Christ, God forgave us our debts. Read this with me. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says this. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins. All of our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. I have a dear friend that has been coming here for years. And sometimes, I know you may be sitting here, if, you, if you've been around church a while, you're like, hey, God's forgiveness, it's a great thing. Oh, wow, pizza. It's a great thing. But there are people here, and this may be you, that this, this idea that God forgives you, just it has a real hard time sinking in. There may be enemies of your heart that are keeping it from sinking in. But I have a dear friend that's been here for, for years, and she just has a, a hard time letting that sink in that God forgives her. But God's forgiveness is so real, it's so evident, it's so true, it's so strong. We sing about it all the time. And those two words, those two words, just as, everything bends on those. Everything bends on those two words, just as. If, if the golden rule that Jesus teaches us is, is to, to treat others the way that you want to be treated, I think what Paul is saying, in light of the cross, because of what Jesus has done for us, I think Paul's saying, treat others the way that Christ has treated you. There's a, there's a guy named C.S. Lewis who I think says it powerfully. He says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. That if, if this whole Christianity thing was about anything, if we just had to put it on the stove and boil it down to the one thing Christianity is about, it's about forgiveness. It's not about voting a certain way. It's not about being nice. It's not about gold stars for attendance. If Christianity is about anything, it's about forgiveness, about how this unimaginably holy God has forgiven us our debts and how in light of that, in response to that, we forgive just as we've been forgiven. Just as we've been forgiven. Forgiveness is like, like walking through this over the last couple of weeks. It feels very counterintuitive. So I'm ticked, I'm dealing with anger, no matter if it's legit or just me being six. The, anger's, the, the answer is forgiveness. Is that? It doesn't feel very, doesn't feel like the right answer. It doesn't feel right necessarily. And as, as you go through this next week, I encourage you just whenever you get angry, I mean, what is it that I want and who, who do I want it from? And it might be something deep, it might be something stupid. But if forgiveness is the answer, it feels very counterintuitive. It feels very not like the right answer. In, in Scripture, there's, a, there's a, a passage where Jesus is walking with his disciples. He's walking with his friends. And Peter, he's kind of the, the chubby, crazy guy, runs up and he, he says, Jesus, how many times should we forgive someone who wrongs us? Seven times? Should we forgive them seven times? Now think about it. If you grew up in church, if you've heard that a bunch of times before, you're like, yeah, seven, okay. But think about it. Think about this in your own life. Somebody, so Peter's saying, if somebody wrongs me, I'm going to forgive them. And if they do it again, I'm going to forgive them. If they say something painful to me again, I'm going to forgive them. And they take my dignity, I'm going to forgive them. And if they slander against me, I'm going to forgive them. And if they hurt me again, I'm going to forgive them. And Jesus, get this. If they do it one more time, I'm going to forgive them again. Peter's feeling like a G. He's like seven times. And Jesus probably smirks a little bit. And he's like, not seven times. But 70 times 7. What is Jesus saying 409? No, he's saying, saying forgiveness is so much bigger, so much greater than we understand. So Peter's like, oh, okay, so if somebody wrongs me, somebody, 
Like, forgiveness is very counterintuitive. Like, just when you're mad this week, when you're, forgive my car? No, but when you're in a situation this week where somebody does not deserve your forgiveness, somebody does not deserve, you're right. You are the right one. That forgiveness seems like such a counterintuitive way of dealing with our anger. A couple, couple uh, years ago for a wedding gift, someone got my wife and I uh, zip lining tickets. That we went down to southern Ohio, we could go zip lining through the beautiful golden trees of Hocking Hills. It was beautiful. It was, it was awesome. It was like the coolest gift ever. And, and on the way down there, Sarah's like, I'm a little nervous for this. This is going to be a little frightening. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm not scared of heights. This is going to be great. I'm going to be zipping all through the trees. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> we, we got there and that changed very quickly. I'm like, oh gosh, my back hurts. I'm very, ner-. like, I'm just so tense. I'm like a stick. And she's like, woohoo, zipline. Like it, it totally changed. But we're going down here to this thing. And, and if you've ever been ziplining, you kind of, they take you on a four-wheeler up this hill and then you, you strap you in, you zip line through the trees out to a platform and out to another platform. And you're just like 80, 80 to 100 feet up. And I don't know, I'm not a park ranger. I don't know how tall the trees are, but we're just zip lining from these trees. And what they don't tell you, because they knew you would not buy tickets to this thing, what they don't tell you is that after a couple zips, for a couple zippies, you gotta, you gotta repel down out of this 100 foot tree. You gotta repel out of this tree. Talk about counterintuitive. And this is, this is verbatim what the guys said. There's like the two guides that are with you. And this is what they said. They're like, all right, so we're just going to, here's the part where we go, uh, we, we jump out of the tree. And what you do is repelling. I couldn't think of what it's called. And he's like, this is what you do. You just step out, you turn, and you sit. Like a hundred feet in a tree. You're like, yeah, you just do a little one of these. And you just, I'm like, oh, cool. Sarah, why don't you go first? Why don't you, I'll make, everybody else go. I'm going to make sure you're all safe. Like, I was scared enough of my ladder. Like, this is terrifying. This is, this is, I'm like, ah, no. If my car was telling me no, my heart is saying no to this. It feels very counterintuitive. And so I'm having this conversation. Everybody else is going. And I'm talking to the guides. And I'm like, have you ever had anybody not do this? Like, is that, you have like a plaque where somebody's like, these are the people who did not do this. He's like, yeah, I have a lot of people that do not want to do this. I'm like, yes, I am there. Tell me more. He's like, and he continued to tell me a story about a lady who was not, she wasn't doing it. The ziplining part's fine, but stepping, stepping, it, not doing it. Nope. And I'm like, so what happened? What, what'd you do? I mean, he's, he was saying they were up there for like two to five hours, not doing it. I'm like, so what happened? And he looked at me and said, eventually she had to step out of that tree. It's the only way out of the tree. It's the only way down is stepping out of that tree. And I think that's what Paul, I think that's what Jesus paints a picture. I think that's what the gospel says about forgiving those that owe us debts. That it is extremely counterintuitive. It does not feel right. It doesn't look right, smell right, taste right. I'm not doing this. But what Andy Stanley says in his book, I think is so powerful. It's so powerful. He says, forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a choice to cancel someone else's debt. That it doesn't feel natural. It doesn't look natural. It's, but, he's, but, but Andy's saying it's not going to always feel natural. But it's not a feeling. It's a decision to cancel someone else's debt. And so you may be thinking this, because this is where my mind keeps going as I was preparing for this. As you, may be, you may be here and you, you have experienced like some, some major hurt 
or your anger is, is a response to a root that is very painful. And you may be thinking, oh, so are you, are you telling me to let that person back into the house? Are you telling me to get back together with that person? Are you trying to tell me that that person, that family member who caused so much pain, you're supposed to just have them back over for things? Is that, is that what you're telling me? That's not what I'm telling you. I don't think that's what Paul's saying. I'm not telling you to let someone off the hook. What, I am, what I'm telling you to do, what I think Paul is pointing us to, I think the door that we have to walk through so we don't have to let them off the hook, but we have to step out of the tree. We have to absorb the debt. We have to extend forgiveness just as, just as Christ has forgiven us. It's completely in proportion to how we've been forgiven. And the only way, the only thing that was like, at the end of the day, I'm like, I guess I got to step out of that tree. The only way I was doing it and the only confidence and hope that I had was knowing that these two guides have done it before that they have paved the way, that they do it. And the only way that, that forgiveness, the only way that, whether it's forgiveness for people that owe you a debt here or forgiving people that owe you a debt here, no matter what it is, we have a God who stepped out of heaven in our place. We have a, a God who stepped out of the tree for us, not just as a good example, but to forgive us our debts, to forgive our trespasses and nail them to a cross. Not as a good example, so that, but, but, but as, as a, a picture of that we might experience, that we might extend the same forgiveness that God has extended to us. It feels very counterintuitive. You'll feel it this week. I hope I pop in your head. I hope I pop in your head and I'm just like, what do you want? And you'll realize how counterintuitive that forgiveness feels. No matter if it's something, something on the surface or something that goes deep or something that you deserve, it feels very counterintuitive. But our forgiveness is always in proportion to how God loves us. And so I don't know if you're here this morning. I'm going to invite the, the band out. We're going to close out with the song. Don't sneak out early. We see you every week. Just sing the song. It's five minutes. But the only way that this makes sense, the only way that any of this even begins to make sense, or there's even a way to process it, is by feeling the weight, feeling the forgiveness that God offers us. And so you may be here and you're like, yeah, Junior, that's me that has that, extreme full pain, that extremely painful stuff that I do not want to forgive. I don't deserve to forgive somebody. They don't deserve my forgiveness. That may be you. There, there, there are groups or ministries in the church that, would, that are created to help process through this stuff. Pastor Bob and his crew are part of a ministry called Life Skills that helps deal with some of these things. We have Grief Share, we have Divorce Care, we have Drop the Rock. Groups that are for helping process these, these processes of anger and going through the door of forgiveness, stepping out of the tree and trusting Christ in forgiveness. But all, all of this does not make sense if we, if we aren't doing it just as God has done for us. It's all in response to his grace. It's all in response to his forgiveness. It's all in response to his glory and who he is. And so you may be here and you're like, I don't, I don't really know about this stuff. I'm not sure about this God thing. My prayer is that, that the spirit work in your heart in a way that doesn't make a lot of sense. It would point you towards the good news of Christ because the truth is, as much as we try to, a lot of this Christianity stuff doesn't necessarily make sense and it feels counterintuitive. 
But there is nothing more beautiful, there's nothing more powerful, there's nothing more life-giving, nothing more gracious than the good news of what Christ has done for us. So if you're here and you're someone who's like, I don't, I don't think God can forgive me. I, don't, I hear about this all the time and I just, nope, nope. I'm not gonna create an argument to be able to convince you. Only the spirit working in your heart can point you towards the forgiveness that's found in Christ. That is a gift that is there and that has, is given to you. It's only found in the gospel of what Jesus has done for us. Would you pray with me today? God, we're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for your forgiveness. And we know that we have, we have life, we have purpose, we have hope, we have strength. All these things we even just sang about this morning, we have these because of your grace, because of your forgiveness for us. And Jesus, there's, there's many of us in different camps today that are very aware of our anger and very aware of the root. There's some of us that I don't really know if this is something we deal with. Jesus, no matter where we're at, I pray that you would help break down these enemies within our heart, that the good things of Christ, that the goodness of, of compassion and kindness and an ongoing process of forgiving would flow from our hearts into the lives of those people around us. Jesus, if we're here and we don't think we can be forgiven, I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts and point us towards the joy that's found in your forgiveness alone, to point us to the, the reality of your forgiveness. Jesus, we, we pray and we recognize that it's only because of your overwhelming love, it's only because of your, your grace, it's only because of your, your power that we can even begin to, to forgive situations that feel very counterintuitive. So Jesus, our prayer is that you would just remind us of your gospel as we sing uh, this song this morning. It's because of Jesus alone that we pray.